Hey folks, thanks for joining me for this episode of the Embellish Podcast, a podcast focused on product stories, product storytellers, interesting brand ambassadors, and anything else that I happen to come up with. If you got here by chance, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. Hopefully I can be found on any podcasting platform that exists or on YouTube. And if you can't find me on a platform, send me an email at embellishpod at gmail.com and I'll try to get that taken care of. I also generally live stream the recording of these episodes on YouTube on Wednesday nights around 9.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. And you can find all of my links on Instagram at EmbellishPod or Twitter with the same handle. Uh, I have a website. It is www.embellishpod.com. It's a place you can pick up these links, episode details, and a little bit more. Today is Wednesday, July the 6th, and we are going to be talking with Mike and Danny from Penelope Bourbon. Um, Penelope Whiskey, Penelope Penelope brand. We'll just leave it there, I guess, because it's not just bourbon uh, anymore. Um, I've known about you guys since you sort of uh, first entered into the marketplace. Um, tried to follow you as much as possible. I live in rural western Kentucky, and we're usually the last to get things. Um, <laughs> and I've tried to amass things. And I was actually friends, internet friends, with Matt um, before he came to work with you guys. And the first time I met him in person was Kentucky Bourbon Festival last year, which was, I think, maybe yeah. one of his first events with you guys. Yep. Um, and super enjoyed him. He's, you know, kind of connected this thing up. And then I was actually at uh, Whiskey Weekend Batch 4, where you guys were um, back in March, whatever month that was in Louisville. Um, super enjoyed what you guys have. And I knew I wanted to have an opportunity to bring you guys on the channel. We tried to schedule something a month ago and then life conspired against me. But it seemed to work out anyways, because I think we got something a little little more fun to talk about for you guys. But I'll give you a chance to talk about anything you want to talk about, um, starting off on the front end of things. Uh, I've got a bunch of questions that we can ask, or maybe we don't get to any of them. Um, just just you know, awesome. who you guys? No, man, we appreciate it. Thank you for, for having us. And uh, yeah, I remember the uh, Kentucky Bourbon Fest was awesome last year. That was a great, that was a great event, man. We had a good time there. And that was, that was Matt's first time. Uh, kind of with us at an event and it was uh it was great he, he really hit the ground running since then man mm -hmm. he's been, he's been amazing that was so. great when he showed up though yeah i mean it was like it must have been 95 degrees out and we were unloading the car trying to set up our booth and everything and he just popped out of nowhere and was like hey can i help you guys yeah the best. <laughs> he seems the best. to have that way about things and it was it was it was unseasonably hot for that festival this, that. this last year maybe this and year it rained it rained like crazy right before remember that like it was, flooding uh, torrential like noah type day rain. before they're trying to set up all these like get get rid of all the mud it was mm -hmm. nuts that field that they we were in yeah oh, that was a good time absolutely um so yeah you guys were at kentucky bourbon festival doing kentucky bourbon festival things um and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that sort of feels like kind of the the way you guys treat a Kentucky Bourbon Festival feels like how you treat your brand in general is it's very much a um, you're not coming in as bourbon or whiskey snobs. Um, you're coming in as just just people who enjoy the category and are interested in yeah. connecting with people. Um, is that, I guess maybe th does that match the ethos of what you guys are doing or? Yeah, I mean, it really that? does. I mean, I think one of the things that, you know, because building a business is always a lot of work it's like a, it's backbreaking at times and you know i think that one of the the driving forces that gives us so much energy is we love whiskey number one bourbon um but all all sorts of whiskeys but also you know we you know getting to meet new people i mean the people we've met on the journey this past four years i mean it's one of the best parts about this it's it's almost like you're going to like bourbon university right <laughs> you get to meet all these cool friends and 
folks you would have never have met if you didn't, you know, apply to that class or apply to that school. So yeah, man, it's been, it, it, that's by far and away the, one of our big, uh, our big driving factors that keeps us going and keeps us energized and keeps things exciting for us. Also keeps us wanting to continually innovate as well too. So innovate that, that there's, there's a, there's a good segue. Um, <laughs> I'm starting off the night with a little bit of your rosé cask. Oh, nice. Um, it was actually the first bottle of Penelope that I ever bought, but I actually didn't buy the first bottle of Penelope I ever bought for myself. Uh, I was doing, I was actually sending a gift to a friend in North Carolina, a Christmas present. And I just happened to find an online retailer that had some, and she's uh, more of a wine person than she is a whiskey person, but was just kind of getting into it. And I was like, Hey, here's a thing that can kind of connect the two items together a little bit. Oh, nice. And it's not, it's not like a port or a red wine finish where it's going to, sort of beat you over the head sometimes with flavors. The rosé is a little more delicate. And so I, was, I sent it over to her and then I spent the next year and a half trying to find a bottle for myself. <laughs> and I actually only found it like, I don't know, two, maybe two or three months ago at a, at a local retailer in Tennessee that just happened to have some sitting on the shelf. I found that in the, the architect at the same time oh, the version, nice. version of the architect. But so the architect is your more recent innovation. That, that's kind of been out on the marketplace specifically, right? Is that, is that Mark architect one or is that architect two? This is actually uh, architect two. You're already, you're getting a little low there and it's not even yeah. in the marketplace yet, or is it in the marketplace? I guess oh, that's, Mike, that's, well, a, that's that a good one. question. I love, I love them both. I mean, I really like them. So yeah, they, the architect was interesting. I mean, it was um, a product, a project that kind of came, we were, we were running a lot of bench trolls. Like, so we have, we have a great relationship with, Speyside, they, you know, we've worked with them on our rosé cast finish on a lot of different R&D barrels and just testing different things. So they've been just an awesome partner on kind of our innovation front, I guess you could say. But we, we they have been, they had put out there like the, the notion of these staves and these, these French oak staves were primarily kind of the main use case was coming out of this, the Radu facility in France. So they were primarily being used for wine. And then, um, they started finding use cases for them in the tequila industry, like how like tequilas and some of the, the oak was responding, the, these French oak staves. And they kind of had kind of put them out there to us. And, and we had been running, you know, what, they had a bench trial since like October. Probably the fall, last September, yeah. Yeah, September, October. And then I remember when, and you're kind of tinkering, like you're putting like, there's different staves, right, that give mm -hmm. off different profiles. So you're kind of testing different ones and, I remember, I'll never forget it. The minute we tried it, it was probably, might've been right after Christmas, maybe right after the new year or right before it. It was right around the holiday time. Danny's like, oh, try this one. It was like a combination of staves. I mm -hmm. smelled it. I'm like, that's got a nose. That's got yeah. a really good nose. T took a, took a, a sip and I was like, all right, ship this. This thing is awesome. Mm -hmm. And I, so, and, you know, it was, that was kind of the start of it. I think we yeah. created the product in maybe three or four weeks. Yep. We had a we we were going we had a bottling schedule. Then we were gonna do another product, and you know, after he tasted it, and we were just like, we gotta we gotta get this in a bottle, you know. And we just pivoted real quick, and we kind of came up with the label in two three weeks, and you know, even the name was like a late night session, just a thought shower kind of thing. Yeah. Sorry, I'm taking a note. You said something in there. I got to come back to. Um, so fr French oak staves. Um, I have a pretty good idea of what that is, but I think a lot of um, whiskey people that are maybe relatively new or kind of intermediate whiskey people 
when they think of a stave, they think of ex like what you make a barrel out of. Is that what we're talking about here? Or are we talking about like planks of wood that uh, have some charring to yeah, it? He's actually probably got them right there. Oh yeah. So the, these staves are just, they're thin planks of wood. Mm -hmm. Um, and the, the fact that they're thin is, is important because when they're toasted and they go through the oven, having it thin like that creates an even toast through the thickness of the wood so that you right. don't have much variation in it. So there's two things about the staves that we use that make that are important. And uh, one is that the, the wood itself is, is evaluated chemically before it's used and it's categorized by the, and you know, I'm, I'm not a chemist or anything, but like something about the tannic level and, and some other chemical properties of the wood so that you know that each of your staves is consistent. Mm -hmm. um, unlike, you know, regular barrels when they're put together, it's like you could have staves from different, uh, you know, different types of wood and all this stuff. And, and that right. all imparts different flavor on the, on the, on the bourbon. Um, and then the other thing is the, the thin thinness of the wood and the even toast across it. So it creates these really consistent um, staves that when you put them into these blends that you can recreate these profiles at a small scale, you know, when you do the big batches. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And I haven't heard anybody <laughs> kind of talk about that before. I know French oak staves in this manner have been around for a little bit mm -hmm. um, as far as an idea Enough so that my, my brother is not a whiskey drinker at all. Uh, he's almost a teetotaler in that aspect, but he's super into to coffee. And at one point in time, he, you know, we were visiting a distillery and he picked up some French oak staves with the intent of trying to age some coffee beans in it and, you know, make some barrel aged coffee beans. Um, and, and what ended up happening, I had to give him some whiskey so he could spray down those staves so he could get a little bit more because just dry wood's not going to do a ton. <laughs> but I knew that French oak was real notorious for having more tannic flavors in it than American oak does. Um, it's just one of the nature, the nature of that particular species of oak. Um, but I hadn't heard the, you know, like kind of testing out the, the different staves as they run through to make sure that whatever you use all has the same tannic level for uniformity. And that's super, super interesting. I, I, I like to hear that too, because you're exactly right. Whenever a Cooper's making a barrel, he's grabbing staves that fit to make the barrel. They may be from different trees and those different trees are going to carry different levels. And, you know, in a 53 gallon barrel, maybe it makes a big difference. Maybe it doesn't make a big difference, but that's kind of the, I guess the nuance of the single barrel ideas that each one's going to be slightly different because of those, that variability. But when you're making something like architect, you want uniformity. So when you went into architect 2.0, which is, in the marketplace or be in the marketplace soon it's uh yeah it's in it's in the market now mm -hmm. okay because i had said that was one of the you know I, I put a message out to friends i was like all right what are some questions i want to ask and everyone's immediate is when's architect two out and so they haven't necessarily <laughs> seen it in their local retailers but they should see it now or um very very some, soon uh, some, some some of some distributors just just depending on yep. when they're picking it up you know there's always a it's it's really hard because of the three-tier system it's hard to like yep. nail it like the first one was nice because you could get it mm -hmm. all out at once but you know just it depends like on like a good example in some states we may have more distribution so it goes quicker out of their warehouse and they're you know mm -hmm. so the reorders are coming at different times but yeah it's it's out there i mean it's it's all gone from our our warehouse um and the big difference was too, and what's beautiful, what's so cool about this product is, yes, you can really kind of hone in on a particular profile. And I think mm -hmm. that honestly, if you think about it too, like this is like what Makers has perfected for right. so long. I mean, 
what the what is it the 40 the private selects they're 46 whatever that 46 where it first started off doing the french yeah like you, they know they and i'm sure they're running a similar process are looking mm -hmm. at staves in a very similar way where and i don't know but i'm assuming they are just knowing how this this works with the different you know these different le tannin levels but Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's what's so interesting is you kind of know going into if you're going to combine this many here and this many here, or this one and this one, and this one, yep. this is kind of what it's going to taste like. Yeah. And, and they, that's they, what the they've been doing that. Yeah. Is that. That's pretty spot on. They've been doing that with the 46 for a while, but that yep. specific piece of information they're not sharing, like where you're talking about, you know, they can test the tannic levels and understand it chemically. Maybe that's, you know, protection of their own intellectual property initially. Um, and that kind of speaks oh, to what you guys are. The beans. Huh? <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's the kind of openness that you guys are sort of known for, right? Like you don't really hide a ton of things. You, we, you know where the whiskey's coming from. You know what the technology is. You largely know what the mash bills are. Like, that's sort of one of the other hallmarks of, of your brand, at least from what I've seen, is that you have a degree of, of, of transparency. And I think at this point, you know, if, if we were talking 10 years ago, maybe was it 10 years ago that 46, I think it's about 10 years ago, 46 came out. Maybe they were wanting to keep it secret then. Now they're just not telling folks. But um, so whenever you start architect two, are you chasing down the similar tannic profile? Or are you trying to, what are we doing different? What makes one and two different? Because I've had an opportunity to taste one. And I have two poured, you guys graciously provided me with a sample of two. I haven't poured in a glass and I haven't quite tasted it yet. W what am I expecting to see as a difference between one and two? So two is another stave combination. So it's just using different types of staves that have varying toast levels. <laughs> and then, and, they, and they, they, so redo what they do. So with the, the first build, we used um, like what they, this is their, kind of internal stave names, but it's like a delicate, they call it a delicate stave. So that's mm -hmm. going to have like a lower tannin level, um, be a little bit more sweeter and floral, um, not a super high toast level uh, on the stave. Um, but then we also added in um, the complex stave. So we kind of did this blend of these two staves. And then on, on the build, on the second one, um, we, we used more of an intense stave, which was a high tannin content. So we didn't blend two different French oaks. We just stuck with one on certain percentages. Mm -hmm. But the, also the other thing to keep in mind, no matter what, even if we had to say the third one, right, and we did use the intense staves like we did in the second one, um, you know, the blend is going to be different. So the core mm -hmm. mash that's going in there, it, it plays a really big role um, in this as well, too. So it's kind of like any every batch is always going to be different just from the barrels you're using or every single barrel is different from right. the barrels. But in this per particular case too, um, you've got a couple options to throttle it. And the first is what's the, what, what barrels are you working with? What's that blend look like? What's that mash bill? And then what staves are you using? So I, I do think there's always going to be um, some, some, some significant difference among each of the builds. And re Redu sort of brands these staves, with these with these names like delicate intense and complex but essentially like in the in the bourbon world it's essentially like a medium toast a medium plus toast and a and a heavy toast if you were to like try to compare terminology mm -hmm. yeah and that makes sense i mean you know if, if if i'm a coffee drinker i can go light roast medium roast dark roast you, you you're talking about different intensity uh profiles so when you guys kind of set off on architect one architect two 
did you have an idea of what you were trying to get after or were you just like sort of playing hide and seek with with blends of try this try that um you know what does the creative process of that look like architect one was was really like just trying all different sort of combinations you know trying the, the three different um levels blended together in certain ways you know trying two of them trying the other two like so that one had a lot of variations and when we were doing trials of it and then just kind of picking the best which ended up being a combination of those those two that mike mentioned and then um you know architect two was more like all right well what did we get out of architect one you know let's try something different like let's go with the complex day let's go with the heavier toast levels um yeah. it had a deep deep richer um kind of uh build to it it had a um a heavier consistency and it had more of that french oak intensity to it and i think architect one ended up a little with a little less intensive in that french oak mm -hmm. just to kind of like ease ease us and then ease other people into like the category of french oak you know, everybody's right. used to the American oak and the chard and the toast. Um, so even for Mike and I <laughs> going into this French oak category, it was like, oh, wait, you know, like mm -hmm. it was different on our palates. So I think build number one, you know, kind of eased us into the French oak on the palate. And then build number two was like, boom, like you really brought it out. And I, I think you've so I went ahead and took my first taste of Architect too, and I think that matches. It feels like a more mature version of the first one. It's got a little more. And I, I'll I'll preface this with um, I'm very much a tannic person. Like that is that is a thing for me. I, I remember when I first got into wine, I was looking for the the driest, most bitter red wine you could find, um, and then kind of backing down from that, kind of going the wrong way for it. Um, so yeah. French oak has been a thing for me for a while you know but as soon as it became a, a thing in bourbon i was like yes this because it's adding a a different dryness tannic flavor spiciness that's not rye spice right because you can get a spiciness yeah. out of tannins that is not that bite you peppery spice or yeah. whatever but it definitely yeah. feels like you've gotten to that to that flavor profile to me um, yeah and I, you can tell like i think there's a little bit the viscosity with uh build two it's got mm -hmm. that it's a little bit creamier Yep. Um, in that regard, but you know, even with one though, one was interesting because it was like kind of complemented almost our some of our more traditional profiles. Like being a four grain, you're getting a lot of those grain notes, mm -hmm. and I think it did amplify it quite a bit. What's interesting about the French oak, what we learned on build one, is that through you know oxidation and aeration, I mean, these things do change fundamentally. Yep. Um, but when we went with the higher uh, with the intense stave for build two. It was pretty much ripe right out of the gate, like mm -hmm. fresh crack of the pour. It doesn't really change. So like build one, you're going to get this evolution in a good way. I mean, I think it's going to be evolving. Mm -hmm. And a lot of our bottles do that just because they are a blend of three bourbons. So they're going to evolve, uh, you know, whether it's better or worse, they're changing in profile as you kind of fit, go through that bottle. But with this one, what was interesting is, I mean, I, well, proof is in the pudding. Right. Um, I've been ripping these things. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, they do, uh, they are pretty, you, the pour you take from the neck pour to the last pour is going to be pretty consistent across the board, which well, I French, think is what we wanted this to be. Yeah. If that French makes, oak makes me a little nervous too, because when, when it's not balanced correctly, 
it and i don't know if this is the right word i just i know what it i know the i know the profile in my head that i'm thinking of but like i want to say like dusty like mm -hmm. like something's not um fully integrated mm -hmm. um and so, so the finish is just off if you don't balance the amount of wood to uh wood to bourbon correctly yeah it's like a, it's almost like a mustiness which can can in in for people who've been drinking whiskey for a while they start looking at it and start feeling like wow you know musty equals age um but it can come out of this sort of french oak profile at least from from what yeah. what i've experienced here um is there a significant age difference between the blends of one and two or are they about the same they're pretty because, spot on right Danny? No, they're, yeah they're pretty much the same uh, yeah and that's the, that's the exact thing that i think I'm, I'm getting at is that blend you know blend two tastes more mature than blend one does mm -hmm. but it's virtually the same age and so that has more to do with the french oak profile i mean there's a ton of other things that can kind of go into it you know that's what you guys were targeting is, 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 is around your flavor profile but it's achieved you know it, it feels more robust and i'll, I'll say you know I usually kind of look through things that I am most anticipating in a year and architect one was it. And then whenever Matt told me, um, you know, when we did the reschedule. He was like, Hey, you know, I, I had some things come up. I couldn't do it the last time. He's like, Hey, um, this may work out because it's going to time out where architect two is coming out. And I'm like, man, I haven't even found architect one yet. You guys are getting ready to come out with architect number two. Um, this is, this is super exciting. Right. And so now it becomes another thing for everyone to sort of hunt down. And I hope you guys are seeing that at least through feedback from the market everyone I've talked to is asking where is number two. So that's how well number one was received. So in number two as well, there was awesome. sort of, sort of an accidental kind of uh change in two as well. Um, the, the, I guess stave to gallon ratio was different mm -hmm. than build number one. Um, just because of the, the yield of the barrels. So we actually overstaved, the the blend more than we planned on it and it worked out in our favor actually mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah but now keep in mind if that happened potentially you don't know if that's going to go good or bad well, right so i think because it was a higher tannin stave yeah i think that played to our advantage now if that was the build one that could have maybe made it a lot worse no that's so right. that was that's what i was talking about with build number one like i if we adjusted I, like I kind of want to go revisit build number one and tweak it a little, yeah. Mm -hmm. you know? And like, cause I, I think if we adjust the stave to, to bourbon ratio, I think, I think build number one had some, some legs to it as well. Yeah. So what you're telling me is I need to make sure I retain some of build number one because you may <laughs> revisit build number one in a slightly tweaked profile for like build number three or four or five. And I need to keep yeah. some to do a comparison in the future is what you're saying. I'm saying, man, we got to do that. We'll do it in person down in Kentucky. I think what's interesting too about this is that I, I'm, I was so happy. I mean, one, we, we wouldn't have shipped it. We both loved it. I think the profile mm -hmm. was unique. It was good. It was different, but like we've seen this with all of our products too. I mean, it's, it's, I wouldn't say trial and error, but it's just, mm -hmm. how do we do better? Like, how, like, so it's that constant, strive for something new. And so while we, I love two right now, um, how do we make three better than two? Right. It's, you know, you know a, a constant so achievement over top of each other and that, you know, you become your own opponent at that point because you did a really good job 
it's it's sales. I mean, that that is sales through and through. You know, if you sell a hundred thousand dollars worth of product this month, then you need to sell one hundred twenty thousand next month, and one hundred thirty and four. You just can't kind of keep growing, and that's encouraging for us as consumers because you're always looking for the next good thing that you're going to make. You know, we're 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 glad you're after that. But is that is that what the future of Architect is going to be? Is it's around French oak, or is there going to be any differentiation, or you don't know yet? Um, it depends. I mean. I don't think we're ever going to limit it to just the architecture. I mean, it, I think it's more, I, I and we, we, we don't know. I mean, this, we talk about, this is like part of the late night calls, probably talk about it tonight, actually, that you brought it up. But right now, I think for the time being, we got our hands full with French Oak, right? right? So let's, let's get, let's nail that. But um, as we become more comfortable with a, how we are kind of actually the production side of staves, like once we kind of really have a good understanding of how our, what our process looks like, you know, there's what will, you know, I think the architect shouldn't just be limited to French Oak. I think it could have American Oak. I think it could have all different types of stave profiles. Um, because I also think it's a lot interesting. I think it also, uh, from, for, for being a smaller company, I also think there's a, you know, there's a cost efficiency for R and D. So if we want to really tinker with the say, like, you know, cast finishes, Cast finishes are great. We have cast finishes. We do cast finishes, but there's a process. They take time. You don't really have, you know, things are coming over and you just kind of order them as they're already probably on a container or you put an order and you got to wait months and months and months and the barrels come and you got to, you know, it's a whole thing. The Not staves are interesting because you can get these staves of different oak profiles and mm -hmm. pretty much run an R&D project in four to six weeks and, you know, do it at a relatively lower, much lower cost of doing, say, like, some other R and D trials, right, Danny? I don't know. That's how I view it as. No, hundred percent. The other thing about cast finishes is like, and we've run into this issue is we've experimented with like a group, a small group of barrels, and we loved it, you know. And then you're like, all right, let's let's buy more of those barrels and and do this at a bigger scale. And then they're different barrels, whether mm -hmm. you know, um, for it's some the problem of the single other, barrel, right? Maybe they're you know, I, I don't know. There's a thousand different probably reasons why they're different, but you, mm -hmm. you don't get the same finish and you're like, well, well, shit. <laughs> Scalability becomes a huge problem. And it sounds like the French Oak stave helps to kind of eliminate some of that because you can get at least scientific uniformity and know you're getting the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Um, and what we, what I love is, um, you know, like we're trying to innovate the, the architect series, but Redu as well as a partner is trying to in, innovate as well. And, they're going back to their state profiles and they're adjusting them um, because they're, you know, they're finding that in the market, like they're getting feedback and and they're finding that they, if they adjust some of the, the heat levels or this or that, that they're going to, they're getting a better product. So we're excited to start working with those new staves as well. And we, and we like being the Guinea pigs on mm -hmm. with them as well too. I mean, look, we're, we're going to run our bench trials and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, you know, but being on the forefront of new, innovation coming out of any cooperage let alone one of the leading manufacturers of wine yeah. and whiskey barrels in the world it's not a mm. bad thing and they're <laughs> no, open no. to feedback as you know they're open to feedback and oh yeah we're supposed to send them feedback i think danny <laughs> yeah that's so, so i think the, we the, like the, our, feed, the feedback, feedback loop is in the form is, of bottles <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, look, that's the right kind of feedback anybody should be giving. Um, the feedback loop is is one of those things that, you know, some more mature companies are less likely to be receptive to that kind of a concept because 
we've been doing this for 50 years. We know what the hell we're doing. Don't tell us what's going on. We know what it is. Um, it sounds like they're open to that. And then I know you guys as a company are pretty open and receptive to feedback as well. Whenever you put together a blend, right? So we're not necessarily specifically talking about architect, but maybe we are. How, how do you get to developing a blend and getting sign off on that? Yeah, I, I mean, it really depends on the product. Um, you know, like products like our private select and our toasted um, ones that are more kind of smaller batch uh, products, like we're, whether we're using like a 750 gallon tank or a 550 gallon. So they're just smaller batches. Um, those are usually we're just it's usually Danny kind of coming up with blends and, and, you know, maybe we'll all have, I'll take a sip of it. And as long as we like it, we're going to move forward with it. But when it comes to like our barrel strength, which these are much larger batches, mm -hmm. um, even our four grain, we have an 80 proof offering and, you know, it's, it's not running through an oil pipeline. It's, it's actually, we're creating blends for our mm -hmm. $35 product and it's, every there it, it is a batch i mean actually no I, we don't really call it as we don't go off batches we don't even put it on there mm -hmm. but our four grains done in batches and they're different yep. barrels and we're trying to hit a consistent profile but it is there's a there's a there's a high touch process for for getting that for nailing that one down so really uh the big one that we do that we really like to bring in the folks for is on our barrel strength for those batches and yeah generally i mean we 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 put together you know, we get the samples in Danny and we kind of kick them out to, we kind of invite a bunch of folks to, to mm -hmm. come on a, a zoom call and just kind of get feedback, like which ones they like, what can we do? How do we, you know, what do you think? And so when you say folks, are you talking about like, these are industry professionals or you just have some, some people who have expressed interest in doing this thing? It's the latter. Yeah. People that just, people that we have got to know online and, mm -hmm. It's the greatest thing ever. I mean, you're getting like the most important feedback in the book. You're getting the consumer feedback, which I, to right. me, there's nothing more valuable than consumer feedback. Yeah. And that's, 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 you know, it's one of those questions that I already knew the answer to, but I wanted to ask it. So that way we can talk about it because I like, I really, really enjoy that approach. I work in, in um, computer software. And one of the best things that we can do is talk to our actual end users to get feedback on what we're doing and make yeah. sure that this is the thing we should be building, you know, and whenever you're talking about building out a batch of the, the barrel strength, I've got one sitting here. I don't remember what batch number it is. Um, and I realized this in preparation for the episode. I have, I have a barrel strength and I have a rosé cask and I've got um, a select barrel strength that's toasted and a select, a private select that's not toasted. I don't have the standard four grain, just the standard 80 proof offering. I haven't picked, I, I don't know why I haven't, <laughs> but I've got the batch eight of the, the barrel strength here. And it's good to see that happen. And I feel like uh, the reason that you guys are doing that is largely because you don't come from a spirits background to begin with. Yeah. Um, because I, I think their feedback loops are often closed and you're just trying to make something good that people enjoy. And that's how you get there is through legitimate feedback. Well, I mean, I, and I also think too, we, 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 we are consumers. Like mm -hmm. we, we have a, it's not like we don't even say we're, I mean, look at the end of the day, we don't have like call it, Maybe we do now, I guess you can even say, but it's not like we never use them. We don't have like a sensory panel. It's like, mm -hmm. do you like it? Right. Like, as right. that. Does it taste good? You're well, like, that's where you have to start. Like you, yes. it does not matter to, to break down the flavor profiles of anything. If you're breaking down the flavor profiles of stuff, people don't like. Right. Like if, if, if the immediate answer is no, yeah, I'm getting why are a we talking like about mulch with, um, right. 
some like mud in the tires with it's like correct i mean you might might even still be able to get floor out of it but if the main note is old shoe but there's some floor (laughs) and they're like i got some floral i got some caramel i got some vanilla but man this old shoe is really overpowering and i don't like it but it's a rich leather old shoe right (laughs) you know and i say that because i was the, the the first time i remember like kind of tasting with intent um i was uh having some some bourbon of a brand i'm not going to mention with with a friend of mine and he brought it and he was he really liked it it was a smaller company and a craft distiller and the note that i got off of it was and i don't know if you guys are old enough for this but in the 80s the you know shoes were made out of leather like tennis shoes were made out of leather and there's a distinct smell that they had and that's what this tasted like and it was an enjoyable thing to me but if i tell you this smells and tastes like shoe leather People generally like, oh, that's that's not a good note, right? Yeah. And so that's that's where you kind of get into that. Uh, that's why I started with a shoe leather thing because sometimes that's good and sometimes it's bad. But um, it's like I said, it's 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 encouraging that you guys are after that kind of feedback from consumers um, to be able to, to to generate your products. Yeah, I think it just is. I mean, to us, it just makes sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what we want to make sure what we're shipping is you know, well-received and people enjoy it. I think that's the most important thing. And we, and we get it to a point where, you know, we, we rattle it down from whatever, 40 different blends and you get down to like four or five and you're like, well, I like this one because of this. I like this because of this. I like that because of that. Like, I don't know. You need me, any money, Mo. <laughs> becomes like picking your favorite child, right? It's like, <laughs> you're my favorite child today because yeah. you helped do the dishes or whatever. Yeah. It's, and it's uh, fun. I, to send it out and and then sit around and talk about it and see see what the see what everybody likes you know especially because these are big runs too i mean it's you know you kind of want to hedge your you know it's almost not like an insurance policy but you just it's good to get a second set of eyes on things oh yeah do you guys go in with like this is my favorite four or five blends that we're sending out or is it blind? Like, are you blinding yourself at that point? Like how, what does the process of that look like? I'm usually getting it blind. Yeah. Yeah. I get them blind. I just get a box. <laughs> like Danny's like, have so Have it. you tasted the blends beforehand or this is like from the beginning? Danny has, Danny has. Okay. I'll, I'll usually, you know, you actually, a lot of the times we'll start like, depends on the batch and depends on the travel schedule. So, I mean, there's been one or two instances where I'll just get them with everyone else and I'm starting at the same stage. And then there's been times where we'll meet up him and I, and we'll whittle them down from like 40 to like 10. Yeah. And those are right, fun. Nights. When you, those are great yeah. nights. Those are great. It's always a fun. It's always a fun time. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're sitting They're around and that's, that's the reason why I think Brown spirits are so interesting um, is because they are communal in nature. You know, like yeah. vodka is, is largely meant to be <laughs> drank in a bar and somewhat of an anonymous experience where uh, you might be in and out, move from one bar to the next. But generically, most folks that are drinking whiskey are interested in sitting down, having a conversation and kind of getting to know people. That That's what makes it interesting. And yeah. the process to select the batch matches that, right? But but whenever you get to selecting the batch, you can get it whittled down to four. Do you guys get like veto powers or is it still um, somewhat democratic at that point? I mean, I wouldn't say it's probably 100 percent democratic. I think it's mm-hmm. more of we use that input. Like, I think for the most part, every time we've done it, we've gone with what the group has decided mm-hmm. I'm just thinking more like if I don't think there's been an instance, but if there was, I mean, I think ultimately it's like 
we're, I think Danny, it'd be down to Danny and I, like we would really be like, right. well, this one's like, you guys haven't weird. largely disagreed with a group, but if you did, that's the direction you would potentially take because at the end of the day, y'all are the ones making the decisions and paying the bills. So, and, and one time we pivoted, you know, like we had, we had the four or five blends and I think people were like really fixated on these two. And then they I just think Mike blended or, them together. I think, yeah. I think Mike just was like, well, screw it. Like put them together. <laughs> Well, this tasted mm -hmm. good, you know, and then we went back to the table and we kind of came up with a blend of those two blends. And mm -hmm. uh, so we just we just went with it. <laughs> so, yeah. Danny, do you do you make the blends or do you does someone else create the blends? Like, how do you get to what goes into the bottle, the sample bottle to go out to people? You just. Yeah, we um, I mean, you're kind of looking at it a little bit like we get the barrel samples in, you know, mm -hmm. depending on whether wherever we're we're doing our our batch, you know, we pull, so we pull the samples and we just kind of start mixing them together. And, you know, it's really a numbers game. Um, it's just like how many different iterations of <laughs> mixing these, you know, these barrels together. Can you, can you do, mm -hmm. I mean, so that, like I said, like, you know, I, I just take all the barrels and then whittle it down to, you know, a handful of samples that everybody can, you know, kind of get into. So you guys are, you guys are at a very significant portion of implementation against this, but four years ago, you weren't really, I mean, you, you, your brand, I think you said four years ago, right? Four years ago is kind of when everything sort of we saw it, began. Like, yeah, we LLC'd the business back in uh, June, 2018. 2018. So yeah, we're right at four years. So it, maybe it was alive for a little bit before that, but like, how do you get to, I'm going to create a whiskey brand? Like, how does this happen? It like moved, it almost like moved as quick as coming up with the architect. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it was crazy. I mean, well, I vote Danny and I, we grew up, we were next door neighbors growing up. So we always kind of, you know, we just have known each other for years, but uh, I, you know, I've always had that entrepreneurial kind of mindset. I had kind of mm -hmm. dabbled in some just starting brands and things like that. And when my wife and I were trying to have children for a while and it was taking forever, um, we always said we, if we had a girl, we were going to name her Penelope. And um, when we, you know, we found out, obviously it was amazing, but mm -hmm. it's just like one of those things, all that, the weight of the world's kind of lifted off your back, a lot of stress is removed and just kind of, I don't know, man, I, I, I'll never forget the moment because I was driving back from a landscaping store in Colts Neck, New Jersey. And I was like, Penelope Bourbon, that is a, that's a great rate. Remember that, Danny? And then we used this app called Marco Polo at the mm -hmm. time and they, we still mm -hmm. use it it was a uh, video text messaging. I just went on our, our high school group chat. I was like, Hey, I got this crazy idea. I'm going to do this. And it was in April. Cause I was getting to doing, picking up some spring plants. And it was, uh, I was like, guys, I think I'm gonna do this Penelope bourbon. Don't really know much about the industry other than that. I right. liked whiskey and I'm going to do it. And then I kind of closed the loop and maybe a month later, I started cold calling folks. Like I needed whiskey. So I started cold calling folks and I cold called uh, MGP and didn't have a business plan. I was just talking off the cusp and right. they were like, why don't you come on down and you can have a plus one and let's just, let's just see what this is all about. We'll kind of show you, show you around. And so we were, we were golfing and I just with Danny and another friend of ours and I was like, Hey, I got a plus one. Does anyone want to go? And our one friend's like, Hey, I got to check with my wife. Danny's like, I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> and that was kind of it. It's that's, that's how it all kind of started.
<laughs> to this day, my wife is always like, you still have never told me you're going to start a bourbon company. <laughs> you just said you were going to visit a distillery. <laughs> and it's been a rabbit. It's been down the rabbit hole ever since. Yeah. And I, I think these are some of my favorite stories that exist is and it comes out of craft and small brands where there's this. I don't want you to take this as an insult. This is not yeah. this idea of unjustified confidence, right? The audacity to think I'm just going to do this thing. And then you do it right. Like those are the stories that I connect with the most because, you know, there's a ton of people who have ideas. Like I have this idea. I think we should do X and such thing, but they never do anything with it. Right. And it takes some degree of let's just see what happens. You know, this entrepreneurial spirit that, not everybody does have the, those are the exciting things for me. And when you guys kind of began out, um, one of the other things that I find interesting and, and just kind of listen to you guys speak and reading other interviews that you've done, um, you began with the idea of targeting Basil Hayden's market share, which is another sort of audacious thing because those are not places where, you know, most of the people that come from a whiskey, bourbon, snobby background. They're not going after Basil Hayden people because they sort of turn their nose up at Basil Hayden people. Mm -hmm. But from a business perspective, the statement of if you can get 1% of their market share, you have a brand. And that yeah. is, is brilliant. Like that's just what it really is. It's, it, it's absolutely brilliant because it's exactly correct. Um, but, but how did you get to the idea? Like, let's get 1% of their share. Like, wh where does that come from? Well, I mean, I remember it pretty clearly. I mean, we didn't even know, like, I remember we're getting all, we, we finally got, I mean, I really didn't even know much about MGP. Not even kidding. Mm -hmm. Danny and I had never even been to a whiskey distillery. So we loved whiskey. It was like what I drank. I, I was never a real big beer drinker. I, I mean, I don't mm -hmm. drink vodka. I mean, I, I like whiskey. That was what I drank. And um, I just re, you know, and honestly, I had, I had come from software as well. And like yourself, and you kind of know in software, like, especially in enterprise software, you could be doing like, HR software one day and mm -hmm. like sales software, yep. you know, you're working in all these different functions and you're like, well, I don't really know much about HR, but you're like, I guess I'll just, it's, I'll figure it. <laughs> you just got to figure, right. figure it out, whatever. Yep. So it is what it is. Um, so you kind of get that notion like, all right, it's like, it's just another industry. It's no big deal. Um, was, yeah, no, I remember that. So we did want to, um, we did want to have a plan going into it. So we went to go see him around this time. Actually, it was like Ju July 12th, like almost 12. four years ago day after my birthday yeah that's right yeah danny never forget that but uh we would you say the july the 12th like is your birthday in two days july 11th okay yeah big well, four oh early man <laughs> yeah you're younger yeah well congratulations sorry i didn't mean to, to, to distract you but i yeah sorry you, you said a thing and it triggered cake. a thing in my brain should have had a cake right but, um no man i think the big thing for us was really uh having a plan like we we weren't going to start with a lot. Uh, we wanted to just have a, a product that we could go to market with. Mm -hmm. um, and for us, I just said, like, look, our model's got to be really clear. There's a lot of bourbons. It's a hard space. Whatever everyone else is doing, let's do the opposite. Mm -hmm. Like, you got to separate yourself. And that goes from our name to our packaging to our product to our sales, you know, kind of proposition. Um, and that's all we knew. We go, we go to MGP and... We just said, shit, there's actually not a lot of 80 proofs on the market. And mm -hmm. maybe there's an opportunity to really sink our teeth into, um, and, and keep in mind, we're, we're not in Kentucky. So we're up in New Jersey. 
So right. we, we're not kind of in fully engulfed in, in a lot of the, maybe say like everyone's looking at different age statements or looking at the mash bills. It's more of like, you know, I mean, now, I mean, I think there's a lot of tons of bourbon drinkers and scotch drinkers and tequila drinkers up here, but that was just our notion. I just kind of looked at it from my perspective. Like if I liked it, I liked it. That was kind of, I was cool with it then. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and the price was right. It had to be priced accordingly. That was always really important. Um, but yeah, we went there with a kind of an idea, like I want to try to do something a little bit different. And when we came up with this, uh, blend of three different bourbons, a corn, a rye and a wheat, it had a very sweet floral profile. And when you look at the other, you know, 80 proofs on the market, um, Basil's was in New Jersey at the time. It was like 50 bucks a bottle, 49 around that price point. And we kind of had said like, well, ours is a very sweeter, more floral profile from the corn and the wheat. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with, with basil being a little bit more of that spicy rye forward profile, I was like, we can, maybe we can steal some market share. And the one thing that's amazing about this industry that we did, I didn't know this going into it, nor did Danny, but this industry, the spirits industry rewards hard, hard work. If you yeah. work hard, you are going to move cases. So like, if, I think if you work hard and you're honest, I think, I think you have to be honest as well. Right. I, I think you can't get away with, with being with legitimate yeah. deceptive practices. It'll, it'll reward sort of the, the principles of the ideas of capitalism in the beginning. If you work hard, you have an idea and you be honest about it, you're going to do just fine. Yes. And that doesn't work yeah. anywhere. Like there's no other market segment where that works right now, at least not one that I know of. No. And in the beginning, what we did, I mean, we sold it from our car for a year. So we didn't even get to sell it. We didn't even uh, get to sell it. I mean, we only bought, I mean, we started small too. We didn't, we, there's no outside capital. Like mm -hmm. we were like dabbling. I mean, we, they thought, I think MGP thought we were going to buy like 200 barrels and we were like. Well, that's the like, volume they were used to at that point in time. Yeah, that is sad. That is I mean, six <laughs> sound. And by the way, we could have bought, like they had 10 year, they had all the, they had tons of stuff. Yeah, they, they were, it was just all laid out on the table. And we, and looking we back. No, like, and I honestly think that was the best thing that happened to us going in there without any background uh -huh. just going in there with a cons like our palate it, it wasn't even like smart palates were not crazy sophisticated it was like do we like it and it's like yeah. yeah um and i think we didn't overcomplicate it and we felt like that was a good product and and how do we build off that and yeah man, we sold it from our car for a year and you get, but it's amazing when you do that, when you're on the front line of selling and you're, you're mm -hmm. selling it yourself, you know, you get all that direct feedback thrown right in your face, good or bad. And that helped yeah. tremendously. Yeah. And that's, it's got very much a, a, a mid nineties um, swap meet trying to sell your demo tape vibe to me, right? Mm -hmm. Where you've, you've got a high degree of passion. Like the people who are doing that have a high degree of passion over what they're doing. They're creating something out of nothing. And they're invested fully in the success of whatever they're doing. And the, you know, the, the initial, the initial thought of, you know, the first time I heard you guys talk about, well, we were selling another trunk of their car. I I'm imagining myself as a liquor store owner and you roll up and they were like, Hey, I got some whiskey in the trunk of my car. You want to buy it? Right. Like that seems shady as hell, yeah. but the, the, there's a sense that, that it's not that right. Like you, you guys don't, have that i guess maybe maybe you do have a new jersey vibe no. i don't know i but, don't know looking back you gotta swallow your pride and you know yeah and you just gotta do it and you're like you know but what was amazing like i and i was just telling my cousin this story i haven't talked to my cousin in forever i was just talking to him earlier tonight and 
you know, coming from an enterprise software, these, you know, selling into like a, a corporation could take two years mm-hmm. and you're going to go through an RFP. And if you lose it, they're not getting anything new for another 10 years. Whereas, and I go, well, I go, now you got this. It's like, you could use sales lines, like, come on, just give it a shot. Right. <laughs> you can say things like that where they're going to be like, and I'll do a tasting. Okay. All right. Fine. Yeah. Fine, I'll bring it in. Yeah. You, you can, you can give them the, the, the taste of it. You can, I mean, it's drug dealing at its best. You can give them a taste for free and they come back and they get more. Right. And you know, like, that's the idea. Guess, yeah. Um, well, a lot of sales ended up like that. You know, like you walk through the door and you're like, Hey, I got a bourbon to sell. And they're like, look at my shelf. Do you see how many I have 400 other bourbons on the yeah, show? Like, I'll do tastings and I'll clear out the, I'll sell it for you. And you're yeah, like, right. oh, just try it. And then next thing you know, an hour later, you're shooting the shit with the store owner, you know, and you're sipping on the bourbon. He's like, oh yeah, bring it in. <laughs> and that's, yeah. that's where you don't, you didn't let, um, a and i'm going to use air quotes sophisticated palette get in the way of creating something you guys made something that was good that people could resonate with and then you you let it speak for itself right i i don't i don't imagine and maybe i'm wrong here but i don't imagine you went in with a whole bunch of um, high pressure sales tactics because you're exactly right trying a high pressure sales tactic whenever the guy already has 300 other bourbons on his wall is not going to work you're going to have to let the product speak for itself and and it feels like it sort of has done that already um, but you kind of kind of began in bourbon and you've you've done a lot of things in bourbon, but you've you've broken off from that a little bit, right? And so there's this there's this light whiskey thing that happened. Did you expect light whiskey to do what it did? Like to 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 be this thing? Well, I I I remember this because I, you know, like we we we're, we kind of look at ourselves as part of the community. Um, we're, we're very much involved and engaged and I'll be honest with you. I mean, you could just tell there's always a lot of excitement around high proof light whiskey mm-hmm. with, from what I've seen just through the social sphere. Um, but it had to be the right stuff. I mean, cause again, this was like such a random thing for us and we got offered the barrels. Look, we were like, damn, these are good barrels, man. This is, this is good. And again, Danny and I were just like, we loved it. That was the like I was like, I like this. I don't care. We'll yeah. figure it out. And then we just said, look, yeah. at the end of the day, like we they we stumbled across these great barrels. Let's release it and just say, look, we're the founders of the business. Just call it Founders Reserve, and maybe we'll come mm-hmm. across other cool shit, and we can wrap it up into that brand name. And I, I mean, honestly, and I I had seen. I think it was Obtainium have has done some good, great, you know, light whiskey releases mm-hmm. and. There's a few there. Uh, I mean, obviously old Carter's done some awesome ones and with some of the blends they're doing, but I always say I'd seen some excitement and and it's funny because I, you can kind of see the excitement level when you're really engulfed uh, in the community online. And even some of our, our wholesalers who are not, they're kind of not as in, in like in it as maybe mm-hmm. say like we are ourselves. Um, and they're like, like whiskey. I don't know, but I'm like, dude, trust me, this, <laughs> I love this stuff. So, well, I would have, I would have bet against you like uh, immediately, you know, the the first time I heard light whiskey, it wasn't from you guys, but the first time I heard light whiskey was entering the marketplace. I was like, oh, great. We're, you know, we're repeating the eighties where they were trying to find a way to, to make bourbon and whiskey interesting to the American consumer again. And then when it hit the market and I tried it, I'm like, okay, no, I get it now. I get it now. And I think that maybe, maybe that's part of the benefit or whatever, but you said, um, you, you specifically said other cool shit and we'll label founders reserve. Does, <laughs> does that mean there's some other cool shit? What does that mean? 
I mean, we oh, we've we anytime we've come across, I mean, we're not we don't have like again, we're we bootstrap this business, so we don't have like uh outside invest, we don't have like a slush fund of cash, so we got to be somewhat like cognizant of, of right. what we're looking at. But if we come across barrels that we are just they have a you know, they just are absolutely outstanding, um, it's hard for I mean, both of us to say no. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we have some we have some of the original weeded whiskeys. So the experimental weeded whiskeys from MGP with the 95 fives that are going on 10 years in April. Um, light, more light whiskey mm-hmm. for sure down the pipe. Um, I think that's really the main two right now, but yeah. All right. So I, 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 that, now that you've said there's more. potential, now that you said there's potential for more light whiskey, there's already somebody that is walking to a liquor store right now to line up to be able to get it right. That's, that's absolutely going to happen. And it, it's enough that I was in Austin um, back in February and oh, there was a liquor store, you know, in Austin, Texas. And I was like, I got to get over here. I don't even remember. Oh, you know, okay. so I got over there and they didn't have it. Like it was on their website that they had it, but they just, they didn't have a good inventory system for the <laughs> website versus what was actually in the store. And so I'm like, I am in a whole other part of the country and I'm still looking like, I'm like, eh, maybe I can find some light whiskey over here. Um, and it happened, it actually happened. I think you guys were in Texas at the time because Matt was in San Antonio and yes, he had gone yeah. up to Dallas. Y'all were there the same week and it just didn't work out. I was going to try to connect with him and be like, Hey, you know, let's have a drink and hang out or whatever, but oh, man, it awesome. didn't work out. Didn't work out. Cause you know, the, I was there for work as well, which, you know, kind of occupied all of my time, but, um, huge, huge thing. Um, the, the light whiskey was, I think, you know, really, really well received, um, you mentioned a weeded whiskey. You've got the the rose cask. And did I hear right? I think you guys talked about this at Whiskey Weekend in Louisville. Um, did you guys start a rose company? Yeah. It's pretty cool, right? <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> well, but for problem, real though? So we I was we were struggling. I mean, it's very, very hard and challenging to get rose wine barrels for mm-hmm. our rose cask finish. So our our pipeline is always small. It's never going to be a big release. And as you grow, you're trying to fulfill the, you're trying to get, get it to all your markets and just trying to get it out there. So I just told Danny, I was like, why don't we just start our own Rosé company, start our own Rosé brand, partner with a vineyard in France and and make the Rosé to spec based off of how we want, need the, uh, the Rosé casks. And, what started as a crazy idea. And I actually think it's a great idea because now it's like wine to whiskey. I mean, you've got all these cast finishes. I, 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 me personally, as a consumer, I'm like, well, I think it's interesting. Like I'd like to try the, the actual Rose yes. that was made and we're going to make it ourselves. We're blending it ourselves and we're making it that extra sweet, hundred percent Grenache, aging it in certain types of new French oak barrels. And, and then they're going to put our Rose that we've, Create it on a container with the barrels. That kind, it's kind of cool. If if you haven't figured it out, Mike's kind of the big idea guy. <laughs> well, that's so. That's what I have in here. Right? Like I, the the notes that I have on here is like you know, Mike, you're sort of the idea guy, or maybe like the 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 heart of it. Danny, you're from what I understand the, the brains of it and the functional operational yeah. idea of it. And then Matt sort of feels like the feet and hands where he's just doing things like pointing yeah, in a direction. Yeah, yeah. He'll go do the things. And you sort of, that's great. Really, that's crazy. Um, that like awesome. that. He just, he's a, he's, he's a jack of all trades. 
So so when 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 do we get a chance to taste the rosé? Like how far out is I got this? we is got the bot- I got some bottles of it. We we we're going there in September. We have to finalize some things. Danny, they sent us mm-hmm. a contract today by the way. We have to review. They sent oh, us man. a contract. I think it's in French, so we have to like <laughs> get a translator, <laughs> get someone who can speak French, yeah. Um, but I but I but I love this idea. Like cast finishes mm-hmm. are obviously a very popular segment. So I think the one way we can stand out from the crowd is control like if we're going to roll out a, and i don't know if we're gonna be able to do it for all of them but if it p- presents itself wouldn't it be nice to control the wine and have some level of control considering that is such an important factor and i think there's a lot of times when you order barrels you don't know where they're coming from you know you just don't know much about them it, and so i think the big thing for us is uh it really is level of control over the profile of the wine going into the oak barrel that's being used it's, it's actually going to be really exciting to be able to like know the pipeline, know the wine that's in it, be able to, to really blend off of that. Um, cause like I said before, like you don't know what these, what's coming in with these barrels. You don't even know where the barrels are coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, and for, and for some of these finishes, you don't even know, like, what should I be expecting out of this finish? Right. You, you, you were talking about this earlier. Like I want to taste the rosé so I can taste how it impacts this particular bottle. And I can taste other rosés, but wine is similar to whiskey in the fact that everyone, even if it's in the same, you know, appellation, the same rosé, the same brand or whatever, it's going to be slightly varied. And, you know, I, I find myself trying to do the same thing in any type of a finish. You know, I've got a, a Mouvedre cask um, bourbon over here. I've never had Mouvedre. I don't know what that tastes like. I don't know what impact it actually has, but if it's a Cab or it's a Pinot or it's a Chardonnay, I can sort of understand Mm-hmm. And, you know, like that was one of the things Bardstown did a prisoner finish with prisoner yeah. red wine out of West. I have had that wine and I've had the whiskey and I can understand that better. And it makes me like it. I don't know necessarily like it more, but connect with it more because I can understand how these things relate to each other. And so the idea of like this vertical integration of we make the wine and we make yeah. the whiskey is great. And then if you want to take it a step further, are you going to finish any rosé in a whiskey cask? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I don't know. That's a great idea. I think. See, now you're you're you you got you got, your mind goes even further than mine. I actually did not think of that. I don't even know what the legality is on that, but I like that idea a lot. Well, I mean, because I know there's a number of red wine companies that will finish in bourbon casks. That happens on the regular. That's a, yeah. that's a normal occurrence. Um, and I was talking to another distiller at one point in time, and I was like, "Hey, you guys going to finish in this?" And he was like. Because they, you know, they were owned by a, a bit. He, he's owned by a bigger company, and he was like, "We, we should try that." I'm like, "Yeah," because I want to know what it tastes like. I want to know what, I want to know what the rosé tastes like. I want to know what the rosé to cask tastes like. I want to know what the rosé tastes like when it's finished in the bourbon cask, and then let's do it again. You know, like let's let's make all of the flavors work because cask finishing, I think, is one of the futures of bourbon. You know, it, it's something that Scotch has been doing for a while, and we're just kind of catching up to them, but. I but think I, can... I do fundamentally think this vertical, like you nailed it. I mean, that's how we view it as I think it's like, you can't just like, it's got to make sense for us. It's a huge project and it's a lot of work. Like it's just like a whole separate business model, really, because yeah. wine is treated very, very differently from a permitting and uh, compliance perspective mm-hmm. than spirits. So, but with that said, I think there's a very interesting, like as cast finishes are growing so big, like the question is like, well, what is that? Where are you sourcing the? Uh, forget the juice and the liquid going, and people will ask that. But eventually, it's going to be like, well, where are you getting that that barrel from? Mm-hmm. What what wine was that from? And it's like 
we want to have, we want to be able to control that as much as possible to the extent that we can. And I think there's a really cool vertical integration. And I, I do think there's a lot of cool things that the whis- whiskey community and the whiskey world does that maybe, I don't know anything about wine, dude. I have no idea. I'm speculating. Mm-hmm. So that maybe, the, maybe like people could come on site and it's like, oh, you're more of a ro- like a, a wine drinker. Well, pick a rose. You guys will pick the rose barrel. Right. Then you could pick a rose cast finish barrel. And mm-hmm. maybe there's some really cool things you could bring from the whiskey world to the wine world, shake things up a little bit. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and vice versa. There's, there's a lot of sharing. You can kind of go back and forth between the two items um, because they're the same people that just did like different things, you know, because we're all sitting around and sticking our nose in a glass and mm-hmm. taking a drink and, you know, yeah. you, you do it enough times and you end up, maybe you guys don't do this. I don't know, but you go to a whiskey event and you come home and then you catch yourself uh, drinking your water and giving it, <laughs> giving a smell of the water glass. Yeah. Getting a little chlorine on this one. Like, oh, I'm a still doing the pretentious chlorine. thing. You know? No, my family says that all the time. They're like, you can't put anything to your to your mouth without smelling it first now. <laughs> it, it's inherent. Like, this is the thing that anytime I go, you know, Kentucky Bourbon Festival or a meetup or whatever, I come back and I'm just I'm smelling everything, which is maybe a good thing. You know, maybe I should do that more often. So that way I'm, oh, this doesn't smell good. I shouldn't put this in my mouth. Um <laughs> That's why, you know, and this is debatable, but I say everything starts from the nose. (laughs) Oh, well, I mean, most chefs will say, you know, you start, you eat with your eyes first, your nose second, and your mouth is the last thing to eat, you know? And so (laughs) you're, you're still right. You know, like if someone, and and I think it's true in whiskey as well, because if you show up with something that's very, very light colored, people automatically make assumptions on what the flavor profile of that is going to be. And that's, you know, several of the blind tasting companies will use colored Glen Cairns. Like I prefer one that's like green, green, uh, green yeah. like this. Oh, nice. Because then I don't have to worry about, is it a dark, rich color? Cause that can be misleading. It may be that it's wine cask finished or is it light, yeah. but it was in a used bourbon barrel. And so it's not going to pick up a ton of color along the way because it was already done that way, but it could be a 30 year like water. Exactly. Yeah. But it's because it may be in a used cask and it could sit there for 30 years. This is what the light whiskey looked like. Yeah. (laughs) Right. But it was still delicious. And so you get, you get this idea where you get um, a preconceived notion of what it's going to taste like or what it's going to smell like or whatever based off of, of, of the side of it. Um, No, it's funny. There are a lot of uh, similarities between the wine industry, obviously, and the, and whiskey, you know, just, Mm -hmm. Just different group of people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, those people could have easily been, you know, uh, the, the wine people could have easily been whiskey people if they'd have developed a certain degree of self-hatred that you have to have to want to consume high-proof alcohols on a regular basis, you know. Um, but they want something that they can yeah. drink a whole I bottle also, of and I be fine. Think, uh, and, and sorry, John, I didn't mean to cut you no, off. Go ahead. I was just thinking, too, more about it. I think, too, the uh, what's the, like, the whole thing, and it's like, we're so we, the last couple of years we've been hundred percent bourbon pretty much. I mean, mm-hmm. okay. Now with some whiskey as well, but you know, maybe it, it's good for the creative mind to, to, to explore something else to just keep yep. you fresh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just getting some wine in there. I mean, heck I got some contact information from a guy in Mexico for tequila. <laughs> hey, look, I'll, well, I'll I say this. Tequila barrels. I want to buy so, tequila barrels. Well, John yeah, no, started the, off the podcast by, by saying, oh, this is Penelope Bourbon. And then he said, oh, I should say Penelope. Or he said something like that, right? Well, it's Penelope and- Bourbon or maybe Penelope Whiskey or we'll just say Penelope <laughs> um, to kind of back out of that. Because, 
you know, I know that you guys had to like whiskey and I know that you had started uh, doing the, 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 the Rose, uh, company. And so that kind of diversifies you even more. And, um, you know, one of my local stores here is picking up a, um, Weller pick, but they're taking oh, their nice. Weller barrel and they're sending it to a tequila company to age some tequila in. And so now they have tequila aged in a Weller barrel. Um, there, there's just this, this sharing that can occur. And, and I alluded to it. Scotch has been doing this for a while, um, mm -hmm. but they're a little more reserved than what I think we probably will be here in the United States. You know, they st stay in some pretty standard things. It's either X bourbon or X sherry. You don't see a ton of like, Hey, we're going to use, you know, X Japanese whiskey or tequila or rum. Well, I, I think they use rum sometimes, but there's some, there's some innovation and some, you know, very American attitude that we'll just put it in anything and see what happens. You know, like, well, whatever, let's, let's go after that. And, and I'm interested in that kind of an idea. And so, um, well, that's what rum has been doing for decades. Rum's like the wild mm -hmm. West. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's like the, the rolling fork, um, which is a brand that is owned by yeah. a guy named Turner Wathen. So he, he's the Wathens of the bourbon Wathen family. He's like, I don't want to do bourbon or whiskey because that's what my family's been doing forever. And so now he's doing rum, but, He's sometimes finishing that rum in whiskey casks, you know, and saying, Hey, this is a Weller finished rum. That's, you know, 10 or 12 or 15 years old or whatever. There's just, there's tons of, there's tons of, of cross, yeah. um, cross branding that can occur and, and, and aging and whatever. But it's the way I think that we make, we continue to make whiskey interesting. You know, the, the, yeah. there's a lifespan to everything and bourbon is in the middle of a boom right now. But at some point in time, people are going to say, okay, I've had bourbon. I've had, you know, cast strength bourbon. I've had all these different things. What is new and innovative? And that's where either craft distilleries or um, finishing kind of comes into play. And luckily you guys kind of fit both of those things. Um, you're a craft brand and you do your, your, your finishing barrels as well. Yeah. Well, I think it's just about just staying in front of what, what you think is good. And I, mm -hmm. I, I like, you know, like, like my palate, like I think all of our palates are always evolving and changing. And it's just trying to just stay on the forefront of that. Like what, what's interesting. And that's why I think it never hurts to just keep poking away at different ideas. And, you know, some mm -hmm. of them may be terrible. Some of them may be good. And if they're good, you kind of dig into them a little bit more and see if there's any legs there and kind of go from there. All right, so I have another one here. So, so where's the honey barrels at? Right. So I read this interview where you guys asked Andy about those myself. Some some honey in a whiskey barrel. I got and it's email. aging. Is the is the honey done? I got an email today actually that I need to go pick those up. Yeah. So they dumped so the you, honey out. He said they dumped the honey, honey. and we're we're back at that point. See, that's that's. Yeah, we get it. Then try to. I want to get that. I mean, the honey. He said is the like, honey is delicious. Can you get some of the honey? Yeah, like, oh, like for sure. That? We should, we should get to keep all that. I guess we're giving it to the. That was part now. of the deal. Yeah, <laughs> you don't get to keep all of it, but you'll get to get well, some of it. I'm we, sure no, they're they're want, they we want right. we wanted nothing to do care. with the honey and the barrels in our facility. Right, it just, just seemed messy. So and we're, I just think there's going to do probably honey probably leads to like ants. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, you're you're not wrong, um, but you know, once you put the whiskey in, the ants don't really matter anymore, right? because it's just going to kill everything. But and that honey has um, been in there for almost a year. Yeah. So we that's a really, the, I feel like a really long time. I don't know. I've never aged anything. We will find out. But I know like other, other companies have done it. I know Bill Mead, um, the guy that Nelson Greenbrier distillery, they did that with a, a local oh, yeah. apiary 
that's the name of a beekeeping Bee company is apiary i didn't know that it sounds terrible it sounds like a thing you shouldn't say uh <laughs> on, a, on a live video ever but they you know they, they did the same thing and then they offered a package where you could get the honey or whatever and i tried the the honey cask and it was really 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 good but i don't i mean maybe they put theirs in there for 18 months i can't remember how long it was but it's it's not the same, and this is the the thing that I think is the stigma with with honey finished whiskey is that you've got what Jack Daniels does a honey whiskey where they're just adding honey into the whiskey. This is not the I same thing. We have a friend from high school that's all he drinks. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, now now he'll be interested in what you guys have. Like, hey, we've got some. We've got a replacement. Honey. <laughs> it loves his Jack honey. Mm -hmm. He just crushes that stuff. <laughs> so. They've, they've aged this honey in there for a year. Now you're getting the barrels back. So we can think sometime in the next year or two, there might be some honey whiskey coming out, which is exciting, exciting. I would imagine we'll probably, I mean, there's no rush. I think that's the cool part. It's like, it's in a small R&D runner just to test the waters, yeah. but yeah, see how it goes. We'll probably keep it in there for at least, I don't know, seven, eight. I don't know how long you keep it in there for. Until it, till it gets right, you know? And yeah, that's, that's well, the yeah, till it's ready wanted... to go, there's zero rush. We want it to be right, you know, like that's the that's the biggest thing. We've tasted a lot of honey out there, like honey finishes and mm -hmm. you know, some are better than others and and you know, we we just want it to be right. So And then yeah. but you know, Daddy, if we do if if we kind of crack a code with the honey, um I, well, I our promise, goal would, Yeah, that's what I'm scared of. If we crack the code with the honey. If we crack the code with honey, I'm going to put it I'm going to call the honey company. I'm going to put a huge order of honey in. Cause I'm going to want to get it out to everybody at a, not a crazy, just a normal price point. Like yeah. we want everyone to try it then at that point, that's, that's our thing. Like our model's always been, we want to be readily available. Um, right. Sometimes it takes a little while to get your, you know, ramp up production or get inventory there. But generally speaking, we always want to try to be readily available. And so honey has been one of those cool products that you see out there, but it's always usually super exclusive. Um, this is just an R and D run, but if we nail the R and D, I mean, it's like, how do we make, how do we do it at, how do we do this? Like, and that's what I'm yeah. scared of. Who's gonna have <laughs> We're going to turn our facility into just a beef making machine. Just, I mean, there, there's nothing, there's nothing to be scared. I mean, you, that's look, man, you're, you're, you're working, oh, about, I'm so you're, allergic you're working on sustainability bees. at this point, right? Because <laughs> bees are the future of agriculture in the United they States. Are. Talking about, man. So you can, you can start talking about sustainability and how you're impacting the environment. <laughs> you're doing all these, but at the end of the day, you just want to make some good whiskey. Um, and then so the, you know, no, the farm, the farm we're working with is like all about that sustainable yeah. farming and, and, you know, like, uh, you know, urban bee farmers and things like that, because yeah. you can, you can harvest a bee farm on, on top of a urban yeah. roofscape. Yep. Yeah. It's called hedge honey is what they generally call it because it's, it's, it's honey that, and I don't know this because I know a guy who had a bee farm in uh, New York, not New York city, but in a city in New York. Mm -hmm. um, and he, they call it hedge honey because it's just bees that feed off of hedges and flowers that are, you know, in urban landscapes or whatever. Um, that's just sort of how they, they operate. But then, you know, you guys are in the Northeast, so you might have access to, you know, maple syrup. Anybody who wants to age some maple syrup in a barrel, you can do the same thing. You know, just see any ideas I can throw at uh, Mike well, here to make your life terrible, Danny. Well, we have we have barrels coming from Canada from a maple farm up there. <laughs> nice. So is it now is this is this barrels that were your barrels or is it just barrels that they our, had our barrels? So they they reached out to I think they reached out to Mike months ago. Yeah, they they reached. They actually reached out to me on LinkedIn. 
Oh, really? LinkedIn. Yeah, that's how I first connected with them. Nice. They're so, awesome. yeah, they have a small uh, maple farm up uh, a little outside of Toronto. And uh, they they do a very uh, traditional type of, of harvesting of the maple syrup where mm-hmm. they, they do a big boil. So they, they actually boil the, the maple for three days over a cedar fire, open cedar fire. So mm-hmm. the smoke from that cedar fire just impregnates the, the maple syrup and it's delicious. So they, they reached out to Mike. We all talked. They sent us samples of their maple syrup. And this stuff was the best maple syrup I've ever tasted in my life. Mm-hmm. It was delicious. Um, so we just sent some barrels up and they, they aged, they aged it in the, in the barrels and then they sent it back to us. So the maple finished or the bourbon finished maple syrup was outstanding. And -hmm. we actually used it in this, uh, distillery barbecue festival a couple of weeks ago where we, we glazed our ribs with that. Is that that. the thing that you guys, did I see, are you guys the ones that won that? We finished third place. I mean, you, you. Where was this? Was in um, Kentucky, right? It was at uh, the Log Still Distillery. Yeah, so in Kentucky, some some kids from New Jersey and Matt they came from Orlando. With nothing. We didn't even have a spatula. So I'm saying you show up and you win. That's what I'm saying. Like there, there's you won. Like <laughs> you you won. But this way, we did. Danny add Pitmaster to his LinkedIn profile <laughs> because he that was not bad. Uh huh. No, that was exciting. We were with, I couldn't believe they called our name to third. Yeah. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, we, did, did we were give somebody some money somewhere. We were slowly money. walking towards the back because we were like, yeah. Well, they were also giving out a, a last place award. <laughs> so we were just like, ah, oh. you didn't get last. And no, you know, no. I mean, but I, it was funny though. That even the guy, the owner of Log Still, he goes like this. We we go up there. We take the picture. And he go, and we're walking off, and he goes, and these guys bought their smoker last night <laughs> at Lowe's. Right. He's like, that's, that's the coolest thing in the world. That was fantastic. really funny, man. Oh man. So the the maple syrup, I think, was was the the killer uh, at that barbecue festival. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to put the bourbon in the barrels and see what happens because even just blending the maple syrup with the bourbon blends came mm-hmm. out amazing. So yeah. we're in the next year. We could see uh, a maple syrup finish, a honey small finish. Scale. Small, yeah, yeah, so small scale. I'm just saying, like from the brand. I'm not, it's good. 2024 like we, would be large scale. Yeah, not not like we me could see it, but you guys as a brand could see the the, the ideation behind it coming into fruition. A lot of buzz buzzwords right there. Ideation, <laughs> yeah. fruition. Ideation. I like you must. I'm, be I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean this, this. This is my flipping back into my work brain. I'm gonna have to stop doing that. Um, so you guys do custom. Um, I don't know what, what you would private selects, private selects, um, which are not single barrels. Like what? What is a private select? Like what? What? How does that differentiate from a single barrel? I mean, they're really just more to kind of who we are. I mean, we we blend, so they're really mm-hmm. just custom batches, custom blends. Um, I think we've maybe done three true single barrels since we've been around, I mean, it's very, like a very, 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 very small amount. Um, Everything's been like, they're kind of like, if you come on site, you can kind of create your own blend. There's no, Mm -hmm. like, there's no barriers just if, and we'll, you know, we work with you, we can provide some help, but yeah, it's just all custom batches kind of blend up, 
kind of have that that's kind of true to who we are right just blend blending and having fun and just mm-hmm. tinkering with some different mash bills but if somebody comes away and they say that one barrel i want that one barrel that's a thing that can't happen but it's not going to be differentiated as a single barrel it's still part of their custom private select whatever Does yeah we don't have a single barrel label i just yeah. think that's representative of like what single barrels actually are you know they're just mm-hmm. like out of all the barrels that we've tasted you know, to Mike's point, you know, we've only released, you know, a handful of single barrels that were truly like. Not that is freaking. Yeah. Old. And we have good yeah. five, six year old barrels. Like they're not, they're all, I actually think we get, we get really good batches and the mm-hmm. batches of barrels we get are fantastic. But when you start blending them. Yeah. They're better well, together. I, I think fun, at least I think we've never had anyone ask us, can I just get this as a true single barrel? Um, I could, I mean, the, the single barrels we had, we, that was like two years ago, we sent them out cause they were just out of this world. They were very, very unique and different. Um, outside of that, we've, everyone's been like, no, the, when you come up with the blend that really clicks, it's better than the parts. Yeah. And, and they're getting some, they're getting some, some connection to it themselves as well, because they're helping craft the, the blend of it. But beyond that, like I've only been a part of a, one single barrel selection, but I can see how as a selector, you would say, you know what? I, I like barrels four and barrels seven, right? But what would happen if we put these two together? Would they make the barrel, right? And that's where the blending aspect kind of comes into play. Is it like, well, can you take two things that you sort of liked and turn them into something amazing? And that's where I think you guys are, you and you guys and maybe one or two other people are finding this this niche place where, you can make what you want to make based off of what we've got available um, at, at, a, at a barrel scale. And I, I see some one of the original in the picture here. I see one of the original R bourbon blends. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's so that's, the, that's, that's up on the, the shelf. Original yeah, private that's the, label. That's, that's one the of, there's only, we only did eight of those with the thick ribbon. Those, that was, I remember those barrels very well. Yeah. It's still sitting up on the shelf because I've got, Two of that, two of another. I, I have a bunch. And like I said, it was one of those things where I went and looked at it. I was like, I have all of these other ones, and I still don't have the standard, uh, just, just, just the, the, the four-grain, 80-proof uh, standard offering that's there. Um, so you guys are seeing what I feel is a high degree of success. Um, is there any thought that this – is this brand always going to be a New Jersey brand? I mean, yeah, I think, I mean, we'll, we'll always be based here because we do so much in the Northeast. So I think from a, a Northeast distribution perspective, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think the legislation here in New Jersey, I think it's a little tricky. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, our, we're here, so there's advantages to being here as well. It's a very densely populated metro area. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll always be connected here. I mean, we're always going to be, Danny, I mean, for I don't see us moving anytime soon. However, I mean, you got to be, it's crazy not to understand that the, like having a DSP in Kentucky has got its advantages. advantages. So yeah. you do, you are, you are kind of playing with your hands tied behind your back a little bit. If you're not operating a, a literally a bourbon business in Kentucky, mm-hmm. um, I think they are the most progressive when it comes to their, you know, the, the legalities and the legislation. So yeah. Aside from the very uh, online very to find, aside find from like the shipping part, like there's some states that can't ship to Kentucky, you know? 
You have to. And also, I think, you know, New Jersey's expensive. Taxes mm-hmm. are high. I think property taxes. I mean, everything's high here. Yeah. Um, I think it's high everywhere. But I think, you, you know, if you find a spot, um, you can Relatively really... speaking, Kentucky's significantly cheaper than New Jersey. And, and, and that, that specific question came from a guy who lives in Long Island. And oh, so he's yeah. looking at it from the perspective of, like, we understand the cost is a thing. <clears throat> Long Island's people... a fortune. Right. So some people consider it like, oh, well, no, like this is a badge of honor. This is a New Jersey brand forever. Or is it whatever's in the best interest of the brand is what we're always going to do. And that's the, you know, that's sort of, I guess, the, 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 the idea behind the question initially is, um, is this a, this is it or whatever it takes to make this thing work. No. And I think you gotta, you gotta think about it realistically too with the, mm-hmm. I mean, you gotta be agile. Um, we're, we're going to be based here because we are like how we ship to New Jersey, um, you know, we have a good business in New York, Metro and upstate. Uh, we have a great business in uh, Massachusetts and Connecticut and Rhode Island. So it's very, very advantageous to have a hub here for your point of distribution, sending finished goods out to the Northeast right out of New Jersey. However, mm-hmm. when you're shipping to Texas and maybe soon to be California or the Midwest or, you know, the South, uh, freight costs become significantly less. So as freight costs pile on, um, those costs just get applied. I mean, it's not, it's the freight costs from our wholesalers. Those just get applied down to the consumer. And so if you have a more, I mean, Kentucky is pretty centrally located, like Mm -hmm. in terms of like geographically where it's at. So I think that's a way, like, instead of doing a price increase, changing your point of distribution where your freight is coming out of Kentucky to Texas is a lot cheaper than going from New Jersey to Texas, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you need to ship through a location, I'll let you, you can just use my garage. <laughs> I'm, I'm fine with that. But yeah, we uh, want to get a small a spot down there. there, man. It'd be awesome. Um, so you mentioned earlier, I think Danny, you're the one that mentioned it. Um, when the architect came up, you bumped some other project out of the way to bring it forward. What, what was the project? Like, what were you working on that you were like, hey, we got to bump this out to be able to make architect happen? Or can you say? Uh, no, it was, it was, uh, it was toasted. Okay. So we were going to run a larger batch of toasted and just, um, I don't know, you know, logistically it, it wasn't working out. We wanted to, we were thinking about maybe doing a label change for toasted. Like it, it was just moving a little fast and we had, we had the production time and it was just like, you know what, let's, let's take a beat on doing a larger toasted batch till we figure out some open questions we had on it. And, you know, and like Mike said, you know, like we, we tasted that architect and it was just like, Whoa, like, all right, like, well, let's get this out. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. Have have you guys considered an American single malt yet? (laughs) We've been getting, we've MGP sent us some barrels of it. Um, I haven't, I haven't really gone too deep into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like the Virginia distillery guys are doing some cool things and stuff, but kind of I mean, like cool companies. I, I mean, I like, maybe I think I have a sample somewhere. I don't know, but uh, yeah, I just it's a growing I segment. Promise, sure. I'm just not crazy about it. Yeah, that's I think that's I mean, what we're struggling with. Not, like to me, it's just not like I'm like eh. the two I, of us are just find myself taking a sit and be like, all right, let me get something else. Like yeah. I can, I'm crushing this architect too. Like, yeah, it's what, what I found is American single malts for me become a for me, they're a gateway for me to go from bourbon to scotch 
and vice versa for Scotch people to come to bourbon. That's what American single malt becomes is a, is a pretty strong gateway to do that. But there's a lot of really, really strong players in the market that are making some unique things out there. There's some guys out West that are doing some, some great stuff, but I know it's kind of a, a buzzword that exists or a, a, a sentiment that exists. And I didn't ask this earlier. I want to go back to this Oak scan. So this is this term that you guys are using around architect. What, what does that mean? What, what, what is the, what does, what does that mean? That's the basically the chemical analysis on the wood that they perform. Okay. You know, so when they, you know, whatever it's called, lumber, lumbering or wait, harvest, foresting. Uh-huh. <laughs> when they're foresting, Forestry. yeah, they bring the they bring it in, and then they do they run the chemical analysis on the wood, and then they basically categorize the type of of wood that they're they're bringing in, and then it goes to the certain products. See, oak scan makes me think that there's like lasers and like like kind it's of like, be. It's like I mean, there, there's some there's MRI some spectrum wood. There's so some I, I'm not gonna lie, I was a little disappointed when I found that that it was just like putting it basically under a microscope. <laughs> hey, they <laughs> could have lied about it. You know, come on, sell, sell it up, right? Right, like you should tell me that it's like a cat scan for wood. <laughs> that yeah, would be right. cool. Right. I wonder what happens if you cat scan. Yeah, just now, picture, now like, I'm interested. I need to know what this is. It's like a little hole that the wood went through, and it right, and it did an analysis, and you right. get like a 3D rendering, and you get an idea and layout. You know, it's like the things you see in TV shows or movie about you know like how computers work, and none of it's real, but that's what you want to see anyways. But still, you know, if you if you're like looking, if you're looking at the wood grain, you know, at that level, that detailed level, like. Mm-hmm. And seeing what the structure of it is, because that's what gives you the the properties, um, then that's good. At least somebody's looking at it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, there's a my 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 in-laws own a tree farm and there's a cooperage about three miles down the road that provides um, staves. Actually, the the stave mill sells exclusively to Buffalo Trace. And so right. like I have this this innate interest in wood and how it impacts um flavor profiles and this idea of scanning it and understanding like what that wood is going to do. Um, I think back to what Buffalo trace did with their single Oak project where they were like, Hey, let's try, you know, different barrels and where they are on the location. Like a lot of just science nerdy shit that sort of happens. Like I like this idea of Oak scan and understanding that. Um, well, the, well, the weed that's, I mean, it, it also stemmed out of our toasted series because our toasted series is basically taking blends and putting them into these, these new Oak, barrels that are charred and toasted at different levels mm-hmm. but we were finding like the same blend going into the same char and toast level barrels like the barrels were coming out very different across you know say you filled no five or ten barrels yeah, no they're idea. all very different no idea and that i think that goes comes down to the wood you know the barrels are all right around each other they're in our you know they're in our little shed outside mm-hmm. <laughs> And, well, uh, and, it, and it depends on like, did the wood come off of a tree that was 24 inches in diameter or 48 inches in diameter? Was it older? Was it younger? Um, I was having a, a conversation Cooperage with is, actually the Cooperage is so it's a big, big, big deal. It really is. It really is. And it's, it's you know, the, to me, it's one of the biggest impacts on the distillate. It's and it's the source of this, this big conversation that's happening among um whiskey tube nerds that like there's this impending barrel shortage that's going to happen because there's a shortage of trees that exists and 
you know, that I had a good conversation with Alan Bishop from uh, spiritual French lick. And we were talking about, um, barrel impacts and trying to recreate old whiskey and how we never can, right? Because the idea is that trees that were grown in the wild that were harvested for whiskey that was 40 or 50 years ago were older. They had grown, um, they were a hundred years old. Well, they were a hundred years old, but they also grew in a wild forest, which means they had to, um, fight for sunlight, fight for wind. And they lived through a bunch of stuff. So that impact, yeah, they they had their grain. Yeah, absolutely a tighter grain, but farmed trees are planted in neat rows. They're protected generically. The ones on the inside are going to grow really fast, and so their ring spacing is going to be bigger. It's going to have an impact on whiskey. We don't understand what that impact is going to be yet because we're still understanding what wood specifically does, not considering grain patterns or age of wood. Like We're still trying to figure out like, how does this particular oak figure out, you know, like impact this other thing? How does the yeah. tannic level impact this? I mean, we're, we're, we're getting into a higher degree of understanding. We still don't know it yet. Now, do you think the quality of the distillate coming off of these stills today are going to balance out the fact that the oak is <laughs> not as good as it was? I, I, what I would love to see, like what it would be like, everybody gets into, you know, like if you had a time machine, what would you do? I would really like to take, and go back and get old wood and put new distillate in it because scientifically what we're doing is, is far safer, far higher quality. Um, maybe pick up some old yeast, you know, something that hasn't been um, mutated over the last hundred years, right? And get some old yeast, an old barrel and new distillate from that old yeast and see what happens because that would probably be like the highest echelon, but maybe it doesn't work because that's the other side. It was like, it's, distilling is this blend of like alchemy and science and art at the same time. And you can have an idea that this thing is going to be amazing and it comes out and ends up taking like absolute shit. It just, that's just what happens sometimes. (laughs) So, you know, I could be completely wrong, but I think that would be an interesting thing. Like give me a time machine, give me doc Brown showing up with a DeLorean. We're going back and getting an old barrel and some old yeast and we're coming back and putting some new distillate in it. (laughs) Nice. What an incredible waste of a time machine, right? Uh, yeah, maybe I'd go for that sports almanac, but yeah. <laughs> well, see, the thing is, though, kidding, then, then you're then you're changing, you're no, changing the know, timeline too much. You're changing the timeline too much, and then we end up splitting off. And I never world think about that. And... Um, we like, I, I mean, generally it sounds cliche and cheesy, but it's all we like thinking about the future. What That's all you can. Do? That's only that's the only thing you can actually impact. The, the yeah. only thing you can impact is the future. And so, thinking about it from a perspective is more of a you know, I'm gonna use a terrible term, but it's intellectual masturbation. It's just a, a chance to, to like <laughs> think about an idea and see what would happen. But you're never gonna ever be able to know for sure. Um, so you you guys are pretty far along in your path. Like, what is there a thing that it that you know now that if you'd have known it when you started? You wouldn't have like, you know, you've been through the process and you're like, man, if I learned this in the beginning, I'd have been like, shit, I'm not doing this. Oh, everything. (laughs) Seriously, there's so many things. I think that's you don't even think about it because when you're doing it, you're going so fast. It's like, oh, that didn't work. All right. Do it this way. Mm -hmm. Go. And you just you just got to be agile. Like you don't know what you like. We don't know what we're doing, but we kind of have a we have like our kind of 
values and like how we like to run the business and how we like to, to, to like how we like to present ourselves and, you know, like the, the basics, like transparent, you know, being mm -hmm. honest, here's the, like, it's an open book. Like we, there's nothing to hide. It is what it is. Like we are who we are. Um, you know, being fiscally responsible, like just not going and spending money carelessly. Uh, I think we just kind of live by like these core principles. Mm -hmm. And if something doesn't seem to be working in the way we want it to, just kind of pivot and do it something different. Um, but it's happened on thousands of occasions on every aspect. It could be from anything. I mean, there's so many from like our and building mm -hmm. out HR processes to new product development or how we're selling into our distributors or just programming anything. I mean, there's so many, you're never going to be, it's always going to be a work in progress, but I think the sooner you, I mean, the quicker you could be like, that was a bad idea. Let's mm -hmm. pivot. That's, that's cool. I think that's okay. So, so you've said this, the term agile, like three different times now. Now, are we talking about agile, like an athletic perspective or agile, like the process modeling idea of how agile works? I, I, mean, I think there's similarities in how agile is. If you're an athlete, you can be like, you can mm -hmm. like, twist and pivot and change quick. Um, and I think that's the key. I think, you have to be able to pivot and be quick to move on new things. Like look at architect that was being agile, new product go. We have like, we laser focus, let's get this product to market. Um, and not take like two years to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, cause it was ready. Uh, so things like that, I think that's being agile. I think it's like, we need to change uh, a sentence in our employee handbooks our employee handbook. Well, we could do that. Like I, Danny and I could do that now. Like I'll change it doesn't have to go through some crazy long process. Like just change it. Mm -hmm. Add the question mark after the sentence and call it a day. <laughs> right. Like that. That, like, that's the advantage of being, you know, smaller in a startup mentality. Um, I, you know, I work in software. So the idea of agile as a process is continually just churned over, over and over and over again, because the bigger you get, the more agile you want to be and you can't. And, yeah. and that's, that's, I think that's a good thing. That's a good thing in in this particular space is that you have the ability to adapt and overcome quickly. Right? And we're we're in that same boat now. Like right now, and where our kind of phase of our business, it's all about like we're trying to put in structure, process, and mm -hmm. really systems, like systems to help us scale. So like a lot of software deployments and things like that. And yeah, that will make us by nature less agile. Mm -hmm. But it just creates it makes things cohesive. So there's going to be a give or take as you grow. That's, that's, right. that's a balance. And that's what you need to always look at. But I do think being agile is a huge advantage, but I think as you grow and scale, if you're not structured and set up to actually scale, you could be as agile as you want, but you're not going to, you can, you can, you're not, it's hard to get, it's hard to grow without having right. some structure. So there's always going to be that pull give and take on both sides. All right. I think, I think I've made it through all of the questions that I had and all of the things that I captured along the way, or at least I could, what I could tell from my crazy chicken scratch that I normally do here. I don't have like a linear form of note taking. It's a lot of jumbled stuff with uh, circles and lines and arrows and whatnot. Um, I have a the, question for you. Yeah, go ahead. 
Danny, what, the on. lights in the back. What mm-hmm. what are they? Loving those. Yeah, I, they're just they're just generic strip LED lights that you can buy off of Amazon, and then oh, the they ones look like that are real thick. Maybe it's just there's like a space between the cabinets. Yeah, so they're yeah the cabinets sit off the wall about this much, and ah. so they project back against the wall. See, I need to get lights for this back here. Yeah, mm-hmm. that you should. I tell you, these, oh, these yeah. strip LEDs oh, yeah. are an absolute pain in the ass. They are an absolute pain in the ass because. On this side, they're not working. Like if you can't tell, they're a slightly different color oh, and yeah. dimmer because the connections that they sell you are largely cheap. And they, it, it was a fun idea. You know, and it I have badass. I, yeah, I, I enjoy them. They, they look all right, but they are, man, it took probably two weeks to get them exactly right because they're <laughs> they're like a thin film and you put these connectors and you jam them together and then it doesn't work and they've got like a 3m adhesive on the back of them so you're trying to pull the adhesive off the back and shove it into a thing and it i know you mean there, there was a little bit of frustration that went in the, the, when i first did them i uh i uh um did them on my in my kids' bedroom, like behind their beds. I was like, I'm gonna test it out down here. Like, I, we'll give them, and they can turn it on at nighttime, and it's like their night light, so it gives them a nice glow effect or whatever. But it was really just selfish. It's like I want to see how these things work before I come and try to put it on the bookshelf because trying to like figure out how to wind it between the individual shelves, it was a <laughs> it was a process, man. It was an absolute process. If I had to do over again, I'd probably do it. Well, I do have it to do over. I'm not. I'm not going to do it over <laughs> until I have to. But I probably solder it. Like there are people that solder these things together, and it makes it far better. But I'm terrible with that too. Yeah, I yeah. They're they're inexpensive. It's strip. It's it's LED strip light um, from Amazon. I probably have sixty bucks in the whole thing. Well, it looks good, man. It looks awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. If you. Do you have any other questions for me? That's 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 an abnormal one. <laughs> Well, no, man, but thank you for having us on, man. We appreciate it. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that y'all want to talk about? Maybe that's what I should ask. Like, did we miss anything that y'all like, hey, we've got this thing coming up we want to talk about? I got to be honest, man. We covered quite a bit. I feel, I don't know, Dan. What do you think? I mean, I, I, I mean, I feel pretty good. Yeah. (laughs) No, that was awesome, man. Thank you very much. Perfect. Well, I appreciate you guys being here. Uh, you know, I'm boot you off, do my closing, and then we can huddle for a quick second afterwards. But uh, like I said, I appreciate you guys being here tonight. Awesome. Yeah, thank you very much, Sean. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in for this offering of the Embellished Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please leave me a review on whatever platform you have to be consuming this on. Leave a comment if possible. Hit me up on social media or in, on Twitter or Instagram using Embellished Pod. And give me a follow and you can keep up with what's going on here. I can be found at embellishpod.com with all of my links, account, contact details, and more. So until then, I'll be um, I'll be back again next week with another offering. So until then, cheers and thanks for hanging out with me tonight. Um, really enjoyed having the guys from um, Penelope on. And we'll see what we've got next week for you guys. <laughs>